Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. I am joined by Nadia Button, organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, how are you today? Hi, Rob. You know, Rob, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I'm going to put that out there right now. Yeah, I'm glad because people will be very confused with the, the you know, because you have such a, you know, energetic, booming voice, and, I, and then the voice. I know. Is, I'm losing trying, the voice today. I know. We're losing the voice. I'm a little congested, so I'm not going to be able to bring that high energy I usually do. But I'm really glad to be here this week. We have a really fun episode. Yeah, we do. And, you know, and and I am going to be similarly uh, a little bit slower. Do you know why? Because it's my. I, yeah, yeah. Why? It's your birthday. Yeah, because I'm older. Yeah. And I'm and I'm and I'm weakening. <laughs> I'm weakening. Yeah. Happy birthday, Rob. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What do you got planned for today? Um, Probably work and, uh, you know, take my son to soccer practice. That's, you know. That's what... <laughs> the usual. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice because my birthday now will forever fall on Super Bowl weekend. So I can usually just like oh, align right. something with that. But, uh, you know, yeah. you know, Nadia is I, I was, uh, you know, my friend Pitbull, you know what he always says? What does he always say? He says, you know, every day above ground is a good one. Right. <laughs> and then he says, then he says, believe that. And uh, believe that, believe that right. which I think means believe that. I think he it might have. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Well, well, let's get started on uh, a new year for me. Let's do some deets. Uh, Let's start with uh, the fashion world, Nadia. And Stella Jean, Italy's only black fashion council member, is on a hunger strike after withdrawing from the Milan Fashion Week due to a lack of diversity and inclusion. According to Jean, the Italian National Fashion Chamber has reduced its support of the uh, for the We Are Made in Italy collective, a group of young designers of color who have also opted out of Fashion Week. Uh, Jean wrote to the chamber president, Carlo uh, Capassa, stating that she will only enter hunger strike after ensuring that no professional harm will befall the collective as a result of our misunderstanding. Uh, Stella Jean is an Italian fashion designer of Haitian descent. She's the only member of the Italian chamber of fashion who is of Afro-European descent. She lives and works in Rome, is regarded as Giorgio Armani's protege. Uh, 
this is a big deal, Nadia, right? So yeah, Stella Jean is, is a big deal in the fashion industry. You know, um, you know, it's something I follow quite closely, as you know. And I'm a somewhat of a regular, somewhat of a regular on the on the uh, you know on the Italians. Yeah, what do you call it? The circuit. runways. I'm a, uh, the runways of Milan, as they say. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I did want to highlight this, and you know, and, and to the extent you want to comment on this, but you know, um, hopefully by the time this airs, the hunger strike's over, and, uh, and everything's so, yeah. everything's good. We had Tara Robinson on here last week, a leadership and DEI coach. We talked about mentorship and sponsorship. Sponsorship being the elevation of others uh, as opposed to just giving them advice. And this is what sponsorship looks like in really in the extreme, in my opinion, right? So Stella Jean elevated these young underrepresented designers when she felt like the organization, Italian Fashion Week, was not uh, supporting them or giving them the proper support. She won. She quit. She left the organization. Two, she went on a hunger strike (laughs) to ensure that there was no retaliation against them. So while I don't advocate hunger strikes as a solution, yeah. uh, oftentimes, I do think that this is like the prime example of really passionate and, and hopefully effective sponsorship. Great example. I hope so. Yeah, it's a good example. I do hope I don't want her to cause harm to herself with the hunger strike. But wow, what um, what great allyship and sponsorship and um, incredible story. So I'd be curious to see what happens down the road with this. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems, it seems improbable that even the fashion industry, that there would be just one black designer on that, on that council as well in 2023. So uh, you would think, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Um, Our next story, Nadia, uh, DE&I education, right? So the number of colleges offering undergraduate and graduate DEI programs has increased. This is from USA Today. In response to a rising demand for DEI experts in fields ranging from education to finance, according to their analysis, at least a half dozen colleges across the country either offer or will soon offer DEI degree programs. Uh, oh, my um, yeah. my MBA alma mater, uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Warden School, will also offer an MBA concentration in DEI starting this fall. So, first thing I you know I thought of was, well, take that, Ron DeSantos, right? Take that, yeah. Yeah, I and you know as I call him Ron DeSantos, you know what I why Ronnie, I do, you know why I do that? Well, oh, yeah, because of jo- our friend George. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, so you know, you know we talk about, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the microaggression of repeatedly mispronouncing someone's name. Uh, yes. Right, and so for Juliana just refuses to to pronounce Ron DeSantis' name as other, anything other than Ron DeSantos, and so that's so funny. I I love that <laughs> even more so than my Ronnie D. Remember, Ronnie D. Gotta call him Ronnie D. Um, but I don't want to lower. I won't lower ourselves to to, to his level. Um, but I love yeah. this because uh, of something that we talked about previously in that New York Times article a couple of weeks ago that asked if yeah, DEI sure. trainings are doing more harm than good, and even if. I don't know if you notice this or feel this way, but when I go out and look at LinkedIn or look at the discourse around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it hasn't moved a lot. The needle hasn't moved a lot in terms of the level of discourse, I think, at, at times. I mean, there's still a lot of yeah. talk about trainings and, um, you know, it's such an important field. Obviously, we have a whole podcast that we dedicate to it. We spend a lot of time in it that new approaches and perspectives are going to be needed, right? Um yeah. I look at some of the the warden curriculum, and it's really about economics of diversity. It's about big data okay. and using data to solve some of these issues. 
it's about sure. law and you know diversity and and the legal aspects and so a lot of different and new and, and more sophisticated approaches to solving some of the things that we talk about a lot. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 glad because I know when we were in school, um, these this type of course or program was not offered, and I know um, we had to kind of seek it externally. And so many years later, and so I feel like this is a great way for folks that are curious about this field to take classes or a program that's designed to understand it a little bit better and the nuances, especially within the United States or even globally. You know, I, 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 I'm, I know you probably do too. I speak to a lot of like undergraduates or graduate students where they are asking like, mm -hmm. what should I do? Like, how do I become you or how do I get into this field? And at the time there were no programs. So there was one, there was Cornell. <laughs> it was like the DEI certificate yeah. for a number of years, right? We both have that. Um, but so it's great to see that there's many more options available to, to students or people outside that are seeking um, just to gain more knowledge in this. Yeah. couple in your neck of the woods, Bentley University offered an undergraduate degree and then Tufts as well. I'm not sure if it's oh, undergraduate okay. or graduate, but uh, really great Jumbos. stuff. Jumbos. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, my yeah. sister went there, so oh, there Jumbos is there. Yeah, they're the Jumbos. Go, oh, huh? all yeah. right. They need to work on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks Very so good. much, Nadia. That's it for the deets this week. We will be right back with our guest, Nadia Alam. Hi, everyone. We're back this week on Inclusive Collective. We're joined by Nadia Alam. Head of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at Dark Horse Talent, a biotech recruitment and talent solutions company headquartered in Massachusetts with clients in major biotech hubs, including Cambridge, Boston, and California, that engages in equity, diversity, and inclusion, thought leadership, and collaborative initiatives to connect biotech companies with diverse talent. She has been sought for guidance on expanding the STEM pipeline and building access for underrepresented groups in the industry. Nadia pivoted to the biotech field after nearly 20 years of working in the education sector, primarily in policy and institutional research roles. Her work in education includes the development of a school equity assessment used to update the New England Association of Schools and Colleges standards for school accreditation, which is now used by hundreds of schools in New England. A Massachusetts native, Nadia now lives in the greater Sacramento area. Nadia Alam, it's so great to meet you. Welcome to Inclusive Collective. Thanks for having me. I'm honored and excited to be here. Nadia, I'm so it's so funny to say your name when my name is Nadia, but it's so good to have you here. I love um, it. We've known each other for a long time, so I feel really um, honored to have you join our podcast. Um, I'll dive right in. So we're talking about equity, diversity, inclusion in biotech. Um, but you focus on recruiting, the recruiting aspect of it. Can you just level set with um, with us and tell us what are some specific issues that the biotech industry in particular has to think about with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion? Yes, such a good question, such a big question. Yeah, I was like, yeah, oh, take, take because some time. Yeah. how much time do we have? <laughs> so, so one, so I'll start by saying that, you know, I've, I'm an anomaly, a head of EDI at a biotech recruitment company. And when I first started this job, 
um, I tried to find counterparts at other specifically biotech recruitment companies, people like me, who I could just what's like ask them like what's the buzz what's happening and I actually couldn't find anyone hmm. um, so we're very unique in that in that aspect and um, there's a lot so when when I started the job um, one of the things that I made it a point to do uh, was to go on a listening tour and hear from people both hiring managers so people who are responsible for hiring um, talent. And we recruit, like Dark Horse Talent, we recruit very niche positions, uh, mostly executive, senior level, uh, and highly technical roles. In fact, when I started the job, it was like I was learning Russian or some new language I didn't know because I'm, I didn't know what, what a bio, like bioinformatics was or mm. machine, like all these things that just I didn't know about working in education for so long. So uh, here, and then I also talked to uh, people who work in diversity, equity, and inclusion within the biotech and STEM space and life sciences space, uh, trying to find out, you know, what what are they feeling and experiencing and uh, talking with underrepresented minorities in the field. And a lot of the themes that we see in other sectors like education came up. Big ones are the diversity of the employees, uh, particularly at the higher levels. Mm -hmm. So for sure, uh, the companies, the people that I've spoken with, they want more diversity, particularly they talk about gender diversity mm -hmm. and wanting more women. Uh, because women are underrepresented in biotech, especially as you go up to the C-suite and underrepresented minorities. And by that, when I say underrepresented minorities, I'm specifically referring to black, Latinx, uh, and indigenous people of color. Okay. Because Asians, uh, South Asians, East Asians, the Asian population is... I don't like to use the word overrepresented, sure. which is what you'll see in you'll see that in the literature and articles. But they they match; they are proportional to what we see or above what we see in the general workforce. Sure. But these underrepresented minorities, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a disparity in what you see in the workforce and what exists in these companies, um, and what you see in the population, etc. But so I don't hear a lot about other identity markers like LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. neurodiversity, age diversity. And interestingly, I don't hear a lot about and I think these are important, which is why I'm mentioning them. I don't hear a lot about immigrants, mm. which are so crucial to the biotech mm. uh, workforce in Massachusetts, in New England, in California, those are the big hubs. And then nationwide, we would not have a robust biotech sector without immigrants. So I don't hear a lot about that. I don't hear a lot about how do we make workplaces inclusive for them. And in my own research, I just kept learning more and more about how necessary 
this segment of the population is and how little people are paying attention to it um, and how little people even know in terms of the value of immigrants. So and mm. we can maybe I can expand on that later. Another thing that is showing up is people talking about the I'm putting I'm doing air quotes pipeline problem mm -hmm. because what I'm hearing people say is that, well, we want underrepresented minorities and women, but we don't know how to get them or they're not coming in through the pipeline. And of course, as a DEI person, you know, I'm thinking, well, and, and, a, and a person who works at a recruitment company, I'm thinking, oh, there are ways, there are strategies. There's, mm. you know, there's a lot of things, you, you know, you could do. But like I said, most of what I have done is just listen and hear, like kind of meet people where they are, understand what's going on for them. A lot of the companies that Dark Horse Talent works with are really new companies. They're companies that just got their seed funding or their Series A funding. They're new. They're small, right. but they're growing really fast. And, um, you know, they're getting all kinds of funding and they're really and they're Not only are they hiring, um, but they they want, again, these very niche positions and they want it's almost I don't want to say like a needle in a haystack, but like they want they just want something very, very specific. And that's what we do. However, I have in not all but some conversations gotten the sense that people think that hiring for diversity means sacrificing talent quality. Mm -hmm. And that is such an inaccuracy inaccuracy. It's so not the case. Right. They see it as mutually exclusive and it's not. You can have it all. You can actually have it all. It's just all about your approach. Nadia, can I ask a, a quick follow-up in the context of, of what you were just talking about in those underrepresented groups? One thing that you may have omitted or I just was curious as you're going through them was people with disabilities as well. Given, given the industry that you're in and a lot of the therapies yeah. that these biotech companies are developing are targeted toward certain disabilities or, or improving the lives of people. So do you see some of that as well? And, or did you see that or, Definitely. or less than you thought? Actually, you there are three groups I did forget as you, as you just mentioned <laughs> that I forgot about people with disabilities, which is just, I just, I, what I hear is silence, total mm. silence. Don't hear about veterans and I don't hear about age diversity. Ah, uh, yes. that is something that I think this industry in particular needs to pay attention to because of what what is going to happen between 2020 and 2030, which is a massive retirement of baby boomers and an influx of Gen Zers. And we are not ready for them. Right, <laughs> they right. are different. Uh, and and but the, but the people with disabilities and that's actually uh, I'll just be totally honest with you. That's something that's very that's a group that's very near and dear to in terms of my interest, just because when I worked in education, the same thing was happening in education where in the equity assessments that I used to do and still do a little of, honestly, um, that group, the school age population, um, students who identified as having disabilities were oftentimes the most marginalized or excluded at schools. And it would be very surprising to the school principals that, you know, we would do like a follow-up after like, okay, here's the data. And they would say to me, I had no idea because people tend to be very race focused, gender focused, right. 
and um, depends on where you are LGBTQ plus focused, but that can vary. And the other stuff just is not paid attention to as much. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned uh, people with disabilities and then veterans and then also age, because that's something I wanted to ask you about as well. And I think that and also just the biotech industry, the fact that it takes a lot of money to develop a drug. Uh, the average age of VC Mac biotech is around 50, I think, uh, somewhere around that, meaning they've been around for a long time. They had the connections. The talent pipeline takes a long time to develop. And so how do you get more founders who are from different backgrounds as well? Well, again, I, just, I think we need to get, we need to address all aspects of the life science ecosystem. We need more diversity of underrepresented minorities on boards and in C-suite positions because those are the people who are interacting with the venture capital company mm-hmm. leaders. And then we definitely need more diversity in those venture capital companies. And we, and I, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I go through so many studies and I read, you know, a lot about the industry, but I don't read a lot about what those companies look like. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, it's really important. Now you've got my, the wheels are turning in my own head because <laughs> now I want to like, I'm, like so impulsive, I'm like I just I gotta find this out now. Where's the data? <laughs> well, you can always come back when we figure out exactly how, what <laughs> we're supposed to. What are the, and and that's what I want to go to next. I, and so you said in your first answer that we really can have it all, right? And so so tell us what are some of the innovative things that companies are doing in the sector uh, in order yeah. to be able to connect with underrepresented talent and get get these folks in some of these uh, more prominent roles in the industry. Yeah, so there is some great stuff happening, exciting stuff happening. One of the things that I'm seeing a lot of are partnerships, um, cross-company partnerships, uh, intra-industry, um, like affinity organizations popping up. Uh, some of them are are new, so we're seeing a lot more of that, and we're seeing more companies look to those affinity organizations. So when I say affinity organization, I mean um, groups that have something in common in terms of their identity uh, that come together and they end up serving as a as a resource, as a go-to. Um, they have web pages where companies can go and post jobs, things like that. So we've got like Blacks and Bio. We've got the color of biotech. We've got, there's so many. There's OutBio for the LGBTQ plus community. There's, um, I think, Hispanics, the list goes on. Um, Most of them, racial, ethnic, or gender. And by gender, usually it's a women, women's group. So we're not covering all gender categories. But um, so we see, so we see that I don't see as many of, like, I, I have not yet come across anything that's like, people with disabilities and biotech and things like that. Mm -hmm. But these affinity organizations, in my opinion, are a really, really helpful resource. And I think as much as I'm saying that companies are now starting to go to them, uh, I think a lot more uh, newer companies, like the startups that we work with, can um, use them too. Uh, There is uh, an organization called Lab Central, and they have an arm called Lab Central Ignite. I don't know if it's like a department or, you know, it's within Lab Central. And they are doing some really great work around uh, getting more underrepresented groups 
into the space and they're holding conferences and they're, you know, so there's, there's a lot of these different things popping up. Uh, obviously there's a lot more work to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could go, that's a whole other thing. I could go on and on about different things that, you know, the smaller and the bigger companies are doing. Um, there is more, uh, the mass bio survey study that I referenced early, earlier, one positive uh, result of that survey is that it showed that there are more underrepresented minority racial groups at the board level. And that's obviously really good. It's still not completely proportional, but it's a change. And since I think it's like just like the, like the last 10 years. So we've seen improvement there. So we are seeing things. They're happening slowly. Um, and then I'm also seeing a few mentorship programs start to pop up. And I think that's really awesome because like in education, biotech, when I talk with people who are from underrepresented categories in the biotech space, like they're the, they're the like, I'm the only Latina at, a, mm-hmm. at, at my company or, or whatever, um, I often do ask them if they have like mentors or someone within the organization or outside the organization, and usually it's a no. Hmm. Uh, I, and I could go on. That's a separate subject. Um, but I, I, I see an opportunity there that if companies allowed or, or created opportunities for their employees to have mentors, yep. that would be great. I also think that the companies should give their um, managers – time to mentor Mm -hmm. uh which is one of the reasons that they're not they're just out of bandwidth out of time so that would be a really good thing i think that companies can do there's a lot of things that companies can do that they're not doing just my opinion yeah for sure yeah i think that's probably a great idea nadia and to 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 mentor even across organizations or but outside of your own organization that there is our situations where there's where there's one, one of each in, in, you know, in these smaller organizations, I think there's probably some concern that these are the folks that everyone's targeting and looking for, and therefore they may be uh, (laughs) taken. And so there's, you know, some, some need for a little bit of collaboration there. I I did wonder, as you were talking about, uh, you know, know, we talked about the Cambridge, Boston hub, the California hub of biotech, are, are there differences between what's happening or what the issues are in each of those markets? Are there bigger gaps or issues in some of the other growing hubs like, you know, Raleigh, Chicago, whatever? Um, are the diff- issues different or are they pretty much the same across hubs? I think the answer is there are some issues that are the same and there are some issues that are different. Part of that just has to do with demographics. So I'm here on the West Coast. I'm in California. Um, you know, about hour and a half from Silicon Valley, an hour from the Bay Area. And um, there there are more people of color demographically. And in terms of who's entering the workforce, um, Generation Z that I love to talk, I love to talk about them um, because they they intrigue me and I think they're cool. <laughs> um, but there's even though I don't understand a thing that they're saying, it's another language I don't understand. But no, but they're. But 60% of them here in the West, 60% of Gen Zers are people of color Um, compared to the numbers a little bit lower. um, 
I think nationwide it's 48%. So there are definitely more people of color. Um, however, there are fewer uh, African-Americans in the West as a proportion of the population. So that those demographics, you know, are different. I think um, there are also more, I mean, again, I'm leading very much in the area of racial ethnic mm -hmm. uh, diversity, just because that comes up so much. But also, um, I don't have the exact statistic, but in terms of the higher ed population, I think uh, California's done a really nice job, especially through the UC systems, of um, getting not just underrepresented minorities, people of color, creating access points, but also getting um, people who are uh, economically disadvantaged into the system. Really? I think they're doing it better than any other state in the country. Um, that's going to, of course, play out, especially because, you know, um, you know, I live right by UC Davis um, and it has now become a officially Hispanic serving institution in HSI. So that's happening at, you know, in other campuses, things like that. So there's obviously the demographic difference. Boston is a little bit different than uh, California. In California, you see these biotech centers, but they're kind of spread out because you have like San Diego, San Francisco. Um, it's just, I feel like they're more spread out. And Boston, I mean, Cambridge is just so dense mm -hmm. with biotech companies it's like i mean you you take a walk through kendall square and it's like in the air you breathe like you mm -hmm. just can feel that you're in that space yeah. um but uh what else is different i think um the access to so many universities on the east coast uh will definitely play into recruiting and you know, because that's that's who gets tapped for talent. Um, one of the things that I sort of advocate for, though, um, and I, I hope I'm not going too much on a tangent here, is for companies to go outside of their regional comfort zone to recruit. Right. Um, they don't see a lot of that happening, and I could. That's a whole other thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of the companies that um, we interact with. They don't. They don't want to recruit from anyone other than Harvard, MIT, mm -hmm. and like an Ivy League. And even within the Ivy League, they really just want because they want in their heads. This is where they see the top talent coming from in in hmm. biotech. Hmm. And uh, so it's like these STEM programs that stem from either a certain Ivy League or some sort of affiliation that. Yeah, the founder or the leaders are comfortable with. Yes. And not only that, a lot of these individuals, a lot of these founders themselves, they themselves went to Harvard and right. MIT. So they have that affinity bias where they're like, you know, I want to hire out of these institutions. Uh, it, it is a problem, frankly, right. if I'm allowed to say that, because. The thing about these elite colleges is we all know, I mean, the data is pretty clear that legacy admissions and the, the wealth within a zip code are huge factors into who gets admitted into these institutions. And a lot of those, a lot of times it's not, um, you know, people who are underrepresented, 
minorities of color or economically disadvantaged people or, you know, all kinds of other um, identity markers. They're not part of who typically gets admitted to these institutions. So I think we need to look um, beyond. We need to look at HBCUs, for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mass, yeah, the mass bio survey found that of the life science companies that they surveyed, uh, 65% of them do not say they have recruited out of HBCUs, tribal colleges and universities, or H- uh, Hispanic serving institutions. Wow. It's such a, and it's, these are great schools. Yeah. Yeah. No, this seems like uh, a big part of the pipeline <laughs> problem that you're that you were mentioning, Huge. right? If you, if you know, because yeah. we also know that even within those elite institutions, when you look at racial diversity, the racial diversity that they have comes from the you know, the most wealthy families within uh, each each of those racial categories as well. So, um, I think that I, I think that you're going to see a lot more socioeconomic diversity as being emphasized within those those uh, institutions as well but it makes no sense because you can you can imagine there's so much talent outside of those elite uh, universities as well um and i was going to say not only is you, you have the everyone's also competing for that talent right right because they're all like honing in on these you know the small group of institutions and if they're interested in hiring for diversity then those quote unquote diverse potential hires are getting pinged by a lot of, you know, different places. So just, yeah. Nadia, we uh, always ask our guests a couple of questions near the end of our interview. And, uh, you know, one being, what can our community do uh, to, to help you or serve you in, in your mission? Well, I think people need to get more comfortable talking about DEI. I talk a lot about DEI, but I do notice that depending on, like, if I'm at a DEI conference, everyone is super chill and comfortable, but I do notice (laughs) some discomfort when I talk to people at different companies, and it's not because they're bad people or they don't have the right intentions, or it's just this, am I, this, I I can sense it. It's, they're worried that they're going to say the wrong thing. And, um, you know, back when I used to do some workshops, I would start off by saying, listen, people, we're all going to say the wrong thing at some point. I have done it. You will do it. And it's important that we just, you know, call each other in afterwards or whatever. But, like, I think we need to get a little bit more comfortable talking um, because without talking about something, you don't end up doing anything about it. So, that's just been my experience is I can definitely sense some discomfort. And then in terms of concrete actions, I mean, there's just so much I would tell, like, you know, even the companies that we work with, uh, there's so much, there's so much stuff that they could do. They could even begin with employee engagement surveys, do that. Mm -hmm. It's good for everybody. Um, you don't have to be an underrepresented person, um, to gain from an employee engagement survey. And then, um, you know, I want to go back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, try to get comfortable talking about DEI. Um, I do also notice this tendency that for people who are not part of a particular uh, minority group or underrepresented group, they don't feel like 
they have the quote unquote right to talk. So like I'm, if someone's white, well, I don't know that I have the like right or I should be talking about people who are Latinx or African-American or if I were as a person of color or if I'm a person um, who does not have disabilities, then do I talk about people with disabilities? And so um, I think that we need to shed this mentality of you need to be part of the group to be able to speak about that group because we need everybody to be talking or we don't really get anywhere and it puts too much burden. It really, it puts too much burden on the minority group to have to constantly advocate for their, for that, for themselves. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the sense thought. of like allyship and sponsorship needs voices. And that's one way you can definitely be that, that voice for sure. And then Nadia, we always ask our guests for one resource that they recommend related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Do you, do you have a, a resource that you want to share with, with us? I do. I think, um, you know, I, I, I live in the world of talent recruitment and DEI. And I read this book that if you work at an organization and you're interested in not only um, building diversity, but also um, just creating a more inclusive uh, work culture than this book, it's called Hiring for Diversity. Um, it's okay. by Arthur Woods and Susanna Tharakin. I don't think I'm saying her name right, Tharakin, but, uh, I really, I like it cause it's like, it's a very simple book and, you know, you could read it quickly and I'm a big book reader. So my resources, those are always the things that I go to. And there, there's other things also by, I, I like the mass bio DEI website. Um, Robin D'Angelo, she wrote white fragility, um, one of my faves, I, I really, but I remember telling, you know, friends about it and they're like, oh, I'll get to it. It's on my list. So instead I just, just YouTube searched her and I sent them five minute, three minute videos. I'm like, yeah. here you go. There. That's now you adult get the learners for you. Yeah, totally. Yep. The vid, the quick so, videos are great, quick hits. Thank you. Well, yeah. Well, thanks so much for that, Nadia. Again, it was so great to have you. We thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sharing your perspective. And this is a really fascinating industry. I do hope that you can come back and we can talk a little bit more about it at some point. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for this chance to share. For sure, I would love to be back because I could just go on and on. I mean, perfect. I can't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. We'll be right back after this with Rants and Raves. Welcome back to this Rob-heavy episode of Inclusive Collective. <laughs> we just finished our interview with Nadia Alam of Dark Horse Talent. Nadia, I mentioned to you that I have a, I have a couple of clients or have worked with some companies in biotech. And so it's sure. really great. This is a really fascinating industry. A lot of complexities with regard to DE&I in that space. What did you, uh, what would you like from, from having Nadia on? Yeah. You know, first of all, thank you for taking the lead on this since I'm still under the weather. And so I appreciate you taking the lead. Um, okay. So this actually doesn't even have to do with necessarily all of like the statistics she was sharing or what I actually loved is 
this idea of listening tours that she did when mm. she entered this space and wanted to like understand and learn more about the biotech industry and the type of people that she was going to be working with. To me, that is a such a wonderful, great um, behavior for an inclusive leader. And I think that's like a takeaway that I would encourage leader other leaders to think about is like, when you join a company or when you join a team, just listen. <laughs> like, just <laughs> I'm listen. I'm sorry. I don't know. This is very strange. Yes. Um, what did you What did you take away, Rob? We really just scratched the surface. I mean, I think that when you start talking about an industry where the talent, the makeup of the talent is just so different and specialized and all the things that that, leads to in terms of, uh, you know, sometimes you have to throw the playbook out, like the DE&I playbook that other industries use, because it's, uh, you know, you're on a little bit of different footing. And so, you know, I think she just started with that representation issue, and it's just very different. And so uh, I think we we just scratched the surface, and I think we could definitely have a longer conversation on on some of these things within biotech. For sure. For sure. I hope she joins us back soon. We'll bring her back. Excellent. Yeah. Always good to have two Nadias. No, what one right? Nadia is great. Two Nadia, yeah. come on, like, come, come on, on. stop. <laughs> like blow, blow it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, if if you if you can muster up a rant, uh, let's go. Let's let's do a rant here. I have a rant, and I think you're going to appreciate this one. <laughs> so my rant this week is brought to us by last week's State of the Union address and Rob, <laughs> your love of politics. So. I'm not sure how we have not had a discussion on our podcast yet about George Santos. Oh. Um, but what a like ugly stain on democracy. Um, <laughs> he's, he's lied about his name. He's lied about where he went to school and college, his prior jobs. Like there's so much more. He lied about his mom being killed in the 9-11 events. Mm. There, it's just so, it's like, it's, is so hilarious to me. It's even more funny because there's a meme circulating Twitter right now of him and Mitt Romney. And it's just incredible. It's like an exchange that they had, like a made-up exchange that they had at the State of the Union address because yeah. uh, Santos was like so trying to be relevant and be like front and center of like just shaking people's hands. It was, this is America for you, you know? Like, <laughs> what do you think? Hey. I feel like you would have had some... No, I, I about Santos. I, you know, there's what what hasn't been said <laughs> that he hasn't made up himself <laughs> at this point. Yeah, right. But I think that you know, so you know, a little bit of uh, respect for my 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 main man Mitt Romney yeah. or you what know, my senator for official. being the person that just you know just <laughs> like lit him up in right. in front of everyone. And I think that you know, I think that that's uh, you know, he's he's he's. Uh, Definitely has his challenges, but he definitely does believe in at least honesty, yeah. <laughs> the truth. And uh, so, you know, well, very, the integrity very, very of proud like, of that. Yeah. And keeping like the integrity <laughs> of like the United States democracy and like what government. What, what it has left need. of integrity. Yes. yes. What it has left. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Um, I thanks for that. Thanks for yeah. bringing a smile to my face with your rant. Um, I. I <laughs> I want to rave, Nadia. I, I want to talk about a new podcast. Yes, this is about our friend and our very first guest, Melissa Mishner of The Bark Shop in Harlem. 
She has released her own podcast here on our uh, Refillion Media Network called the Not Not the Highlight Real, where Melissa and her co-host Jessica Spalding, who's the founder of the Harlem Chocolate Factory, they talk about their experiences as entrepreneurs. I encourage everyone to check it out, especially those who have started companies or thinking of starting companies. Uh, we just wanted to wish Melissa and Jessica the very best. Yes, love that for them. Can't wait to hit, tune in. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're very fun, very fun personalities. Check it out. All right, that's it for this week's edition of Inclusive Collective. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We'd love to hear from you. We always love hearing from you, so send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with either of us for consulting or both of us, check out Nadia at nasconsultants.com and Rob at tecanoconsulting.com. Thanks so much again to our guest, Nadia Alam of Dark Horse Talent. We will be back next week. Can't wait to talk to you all again. Bye, Nadia. Happy birthday. Thanks. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.